Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with John Brewer, founder of Bequeathed, about legacy giving, the future of legacies, and how charities might be able to benefit from a huge transfer of wealth over the next two decades. This episode was recorded early last year, before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and we've held off releasing it due to other pressing episodes, and also in respect of the traumatic impact of COVID, which has sadly led to so many premature deaths. But as many of us now commence our strategic planning for the year ahead, it is important that we continue to think about long-term giving and the future of our causes, which may now be needed more than ever. Legacy gifts account for a large proportion of fundraising for some charities and a much, much smaller one for others. But there are things that all fundraisers can do to encourage their supporters to choose to leave charitable gifts in their wills. And what became clear to me from my conversation with John was that like all fundraising, legacy giving done well and contrary to the usual negative feelings we have around speaking about death can offer peace of mind to those making a will. John speaks about testes, which is uh, those who have left a gift in their will or had put together a will. And the opposite of this is intestate, those who haven't. I wasn't conversant with these terms before speaking with John, so I've defined them here. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is John Brewer speaking with me about charity donors giving legacy gifts. I'm delighted to be joined by John Brewer, founder of Bequeathed. John, thank you for joining us for Charity Chats. You're very welcome. Very good. Uh, good to be uh, good to be here, or at least virtually. Absolutely, yeah. So we're talking today about the uh, distribution in wealth and how that's going to change and the impact that will have on legacy giving. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's absolutely right, and I think it's it's primarily about um, opportunity, uh, opportunity from uh, legacy fundraising, and and also not just opportunity for the sort of the the usual suspects in terms of charities that one imagines do well out of legacies, but I suppose what the you know, in, in sort of business-like terms, what's the addressable opportunity for the total market uh, for the charity to go after? And, and how do the smaller charities that represent, you know, the majority out there, uh, I suppose, take their share or take an increasing share? Um, so I think, um, you know, people often talk about baby boomers and that's really what we're talking about. So that baby boomer generation, people born between in, in the 40s and 50s and a little bit into the 60s. Um, and, and how does uh, how does a charity uh, actively reach those prospective legacy supporters, turn them into supporters, steward them all the way through? So that's that's effectively, I guess, what we're talking about. We might all have an idea of what wealth distribution means, but just so we're clear, what what does that? How do we define wealth distribution in this context? Yeah, so um, it, it, it's essentially where the, where all the sort of um, wealth is tied up. Where's it sitting in our in our population? And that's uh, it's sitting. Um, it, I think I, I, well, I saw something, and it was out of the states. But there's there's 68 trillion pounds worth of value. Right. The worldwide this is, but 68 trillion pounds worth of value that will be transferred from the baby boomer generation to the next generation in the next uh, 20 or so years. 
it's it's massive so um again just sort of to, to make that clear so baby boomers were talking about those people who are who were born in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and whereas at the moment one in five deaths comes from that um, area by 2031 in two will come from from that group there's a massive amount of a uh, value tied up there um, but then the other question is well where will that go and the other feature of that baby boomer generation because bluntly from the the advent of, of better birth control and more a choice for, for women and so on uh, in the in the post-war period is that 20 percent of of women from that uh, from that generation are child-free and that's that's massive compared to the 30s where 12 percent were and so yeah. you've got a lot more choice so whereas people used to sort of pass it on to the next generation in terms of children then some don't have children to pass it on to mm. so they've got you know where does it go uh, i think there's also um a sort of a feeling that as people become more socially minded and i think we're, we're seeing that in, in many aspects of, of society they might choose not to give it to their children you know their children might be you know well off enough as it is and so so there's a role there and an opportunity for charities uh, and not in a sort of naked nakedly acquisitive way mm. but you know um how can charities appeal to those people that hold that wealth um in a disproportionate uh, so that the people hold that wealth in a disproportionate sense to what millennials, for example, and even indeed to the generation before the people who are in their 70s and 80s who are dying now. In the news, you know, you, you hear about the likes of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and uh, how they're giving away a lot of their wealth or most of their wealth in their lifetime. Yeah. I mean, presumably, you know, they won't be giving away all their wealth. They'll still have something for their children, but the majority of it will go. Is that something, do you think, that's in the public consciousness? And is that influencing thinking about yeah, it? Yeah, there's an interesting point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. And I think also it's not just sort of you could say well you know warren buffett and and bill gates they're the super rich it's easy for them to you know say well my kids don't need you know nine billion each they can manage on you know a mere hundred million or, or whatever yeah. it is <laughs> i've talked to in, in the work we do financial planners mm-hmm. yeah and, and and so you know a key part of financial planning of course is to make make a will so our, our services we're writing service so we talk to financial planners and and there's an increasing a sort of uh, philosophy in financial planning at the moment of how much is enough so you know what is it you want to achieve from your life mm. how much money do you really need to, to achieve that and therefore those financial planners and, and chartered financial planners that i've talked to have said that then leads to a thing of well a why are you continuing working yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. why are you continuing to accrue because you don't need any anymore um, but also therefore with the excess amount that you have what are you going to do with it who are you going to leave it to mm. and actually could you do something more effectively with that now and so I think that you, I think you're right that you know those big headline claims of, of people leaving you know sort of pledging millions to charity help but there is an underlying trend in society particularly with those that are doing financial planning at the moment because they are part of that baby boomer uh, section where they have plenty of disposable cash mm. of 
you know, what can I do to leave it to charities? And, and actually then, and I think part of the opportunity for charities here is not only about the legacy, but it's establishing relationships with future legators. So the testators who leave money now, and some of those building them into better lifetime givers as well. What advantages does this change in wealth distribution potentially have for charities and how can charities be making the most of this possible opportunity? There's more money to, to go after, you know, um, and, and that in fundraising is, is the aim. It's all for, you know, the good causes, but fundamentally it's about getting getting the money in. So there's more to go after. Um, I think um, because of that sense that this generation we're talking about, the baby boomers, have enough for themselves. They are more open to the idea of how can I use my wealth to impact charity both now and and, and after I'm gone. So that's um, a big opportunity. And then coming back to where we started, I think that change in 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 society of wanting to have impact and particularly having impact on causes that are most important to you uh, and and that sort of feeling a f really strong relationship and, that, and often that can mean local causes and and so uh, legacy foresight did some research charities founded after 1970 now account for one pound in every four pound of legacy income yeah um and 2000 and yeah exactly uh so so the the younger i suppose less, less victorian charities <laughs> yeah, yeah have come through perhaps you know certainly taking greater market share and here's another figure so in 2006 the top 10 legacy charities by by gifts accounted for a third of all legacy income in 2019 that was down to a quarter right so your big incumbent charities from a legacy point of view are losing market share to mm. smaller charities. And that in turn suggests that there is an opportunity if smaller charities can reach consumers effectively and with technology they can, then there is a case to be made for, for the sorts of uh, for, for people leaving to those smaller charities. Um, and that's, you know, if you, if you look at the average gift, yeah. so, you know, for a smaller charity, so, so we, um, in our system, um, nudge our people making a will online to consider charity. Um, and our average gift that is pledged through an online will system is £25,000. Now, that's because of the volume, because some people leave a share of their estate, etc. But you imagine the difference that a gift of £25,000, mm -hmm. just one gift, could have to a small charity versus some of the, the massive charities where they're raising hundreds of millions of pounds per year. So for the donor in those situations, it feels to them like their impact on the charity is going to be much, much greater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 so, and, and again, you go back, you know, even a few years and making that case to prospective donors mm -hmm. for the impact they can have would have cost a lot of money. Mm. You know, you'd have to you know, have the marketing team to put together that case. Um, you might you know, spend a quarter of a million quid on a TV campaign to, to support it. You've got all the marketing collateral to build, et cetera, et cetera, to make the case for the impact you can have for this cause. Now with social media and online wills and digital and so on, you can actually make that case very effectively, very, very cost effectively as well, can't you? Sure, um, sure. 
and also the I suppose the power of um, referrals and so on. So, you know, if you can find one case study the, of, of the impact that our supporter has had or will have for a small charity by making a gift in their will, then you can you can you know use social media to very quickly sort of build on that case study. So is it that idea of a, a supporter, that kind of peer-to-peer relationship of a supporter saying to other supporters of a charity, join me in supporting the charity in this way? Exactly. And, you know, as, as more and more charities are doing um, sort of, you know, fundraising online and, and, and social media, then, you know, you can, you can pop in and, and an additional piece about and, you know, his his uh, you know a link to something about gifts and wills and, and and so on and you know that that baby boomer the group that we're talking about you know they are going online mm. <laughs> there there is no doubt whatsoever that they are online they're online generally but they're also online when they are thinking about making their will you know our average age of a user that starts and completes the process online is 53 oh really Wow, okay. Yeah, bang on for that group that is going to leave the gifts in 10, 15, 20 years. We talked some time ago, uh, I think it was probably a year or two ago, about legacy giving before. And we were talking about the fact that people make wills at different points in their lives and people will make multiple wills. So I'm in my 30s and I haven't made a will yet, but I probably will soon. But then it's likely that I'll make another one maybe um, when my children or child has grown up. And um, then I might make another one uh, as I get closer to the end of my life, which you know I perceive as being you know kind of seventies, eighties, even nineties. So people are making multiple wills in their lifetimes. Is is that is that still the case? Is is that your? Yeah, that, exactly right. And and so you could take two views on that. You could say, well, you know, sort of why bother worrying about the um, being present in the process that someone uses to make their will if they're only doing it in their early 50s um, because they'll make two or three more Um, and again historically when large charities were spending large amounts of money to pay for that process then absolutely you might say well you know actually it's not worth paying for that person's will because they're not old enough the the gift isn't going to come soon enough but again with technology you you know, you don't have to pay on a will by will basis. So, you know, our, our charities pay a fixed fee according to their to their size and they can be present in as many wills as as possible. And so therefore the cost of reaching those prospective donors for gifts and wills is is dropping. But also then because of technology, the ability to keep in touch with those people and to build the relationship from even let's take you as an example so you know hopefully you're you're you know one of the worst prospects for for leg- legacy giving or gifts and wills because you're in your 30s yeah sure. however if you were to decide to make one and you saw in that process that uh, there were some charities in there and you thought well actually yeah okay yeah, you know might not happen for a long time but if it did i'd be happy to make a small donation to you know your own charity or ex- whichever charity it is you can then opt in to contact from that charity because you've indicated a high propensity or high affinity for that charity mm-hmm. and that charity can then keep you in touch with things over the course of your lifetime sure. now that might cut, turn you into a lifetime giver um, but they can also then be present in 10 years time when you make your next one and 10 years time again when you you make your next one it's not cost the charity anything to anything to do so so i think there is because of, of of technology and people increasingly going online to write wills i think there's an opportunity to use the process to engage with consumers uh sooner 
and to more systematically build the relationship and show the impact that others are having through their gifts and wills through communications um, such that when the time comes and it is your your final will you're saying yeah well I've now built up a relationship with that charity over 10 20 30 years and and uh, you know I will continue to leave them in my will the other thing about that is that is about challenges to wills if you think about the generations coming after the baby boomers you know things are getting tighter it's more difficult to get on the property ladder etc and so the the wealth that they will inherit from you know their parents and grandparents becomes ever more important to them so therefore solicitors have also seen an increase in challenges to wills and so from a charity's point of view if you can demonstrate that you've had a long-term relationship with that testator such that they were making a really informed decision to leave some or all of it to the charity and not to their child or another relative, then you've got a much better chance of, of, of keeping that gift in the way that the, the testator intended. this story about an elderly supporter of a charity who um, wanted the comfort of having someone go with her to make her will so asked the charity that she was going to put in her will to, to send somebody and a fundraiser went with her and she made her will put the charity in her will then when she passed away a few years later the will was contested based on the fact that a fundraiser had gone with this lady and it was seen as as pushing her into it and presumably these are this is something that charities definitely definitely shouldn't do is that right Gosh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from the things you're saying, John, it sounds like uh, legacy giving is like any form of fundraising in terms of best practice is giving the supporters the best possible experience and making them understand how their their support is making an an actual difference in the world around them and presumably legacy giving the, the future world as well. So, you know, with the, with the anecdote before, though, are there, obviously, there are a few pitfalls and a few things that charities may have got wrong in the past, um, maybe just out of naivety and, and with, you know, kind of goodwill and everything. Um, but are there things that, that charities definitely shouldn't be doing? Is there a, a structure of guidance on, on what they should and shouldn't be doing? You're fundamentally right that, you know, stewardship and building of a relationship is the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do from the charity's point of view. Uh, it's also, as you as you allude to, it's it's what uh, donors want. And and again, the, there's articles out there that that say because those baby boomers have um, wealth and, and disposable wealth, actually that increases the requirements they have of where it goes. They want that stronger relationship. You know, they want to see that it will have impact. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just the right thing to do. But, but yes, building a relationship can act as um, uh, a little bit of sort of mitigation of the risk that someone says the charity unduly influenced them. Um, there are guidelines um, from the Charity Commission and in the fundraising code of, of what you should and shouldn't do. So I think it's 15.6.1 of the fundraising code. <laughs> so that covers legacy fundraising, sure. particularly if you're paying for, for the will. And so it's super important that charities look at that. And indeed, it's also important that when charities do 
uh, create contracts for fundraising with a will writing company or a fundraising company that specializes in legacies that contract also has to comply with um, conditions that the fundraising code has and that's about you know treating donors fairly it's about the oversight you have of the process and and, and so on so yeah there's there's lots of sort of vaguely dull uh, legal stuff in there as well that charities need to be aware of yeah. when they are thinking about legacy fundraising but the fundamentals are as as the same with any uh, fundraising which is the stronger the relationship and the more genuine the relationship you build with that donor the better and is there a level playing field is in terms of opportunity for charities or are there certain causes that resonate more with baby boomers um, than others do you think given the the background of baby boomers yes certainly animals are still there Okay. As you can imagine, yeah. uh, but actually, I've seen some stuff written uh, that um, environmental sure. uh, charities uh, are yeah. increasing. There's always the the most likely recipients of gifts and wills are where there's a family connection. Yeah, so someone has died of a certain uh, cause, or you've had a child with a specific issue, or you, if you've had a lifelong um, uh, sort of affinity with a certain sort of you know animal type or, or whatever it is. But yeah, there's definitely a rise in in giving, as I've seen for environmental charities and and so on. But that trend towards smaller is the biggest trend of all. So particularly if you're a small charity or if you're a charity that's working the causal areas that baby boomers are most interested in then legacy giving sounds like it is a real opportunity for these types of charities to really invest in now. Exactly right. So, you know, if you're a niche cause and you recognise that your cause doesn't impact, you know, sort of a, a great majority of the population, then, you know, your best targets are going to be, you know, your service users and the family of of sure. those service sure. users if you fall into the the, the category of, of sort of you know animals or cancer or, or whatever it is that people can readily identify either because they've got that affinity or because it's a it's a disease that perhaps people uh, many people assume they might be impacted by then yeah i think i think the key to it is is helping that donor understand why their gift is going to have more impact with you and your charity compared to leaving it to the usual suspects yeah and you can get that create those very very specific tailored campaigns that are cost effective to to deliver through social media and through word of mouth from your supporters and it's all about for me all about um, impact yeah so it sounds like legacy giving could be seen on a par really with major donor giving in terms of it's that type of fundraising where it's about building deep uh, relationships with supporters over a long period of time, sometimes years, sometimes decades in, in this case, and that you might not see any uh, response to the work that you're doing with those supporters, at least not in that big way, uh, for many, many years to come. And I imagine that makes it very difficult. I've experienced this myself. It makes it difficult to to talk to boards and get boards to green light in heavy investment or, or resource investment into legacy giving because it's a real long game and may take years to see the benefits yeah yeah i, I think that's uh, entirely entirely fair but, and you know if you're going to spend a pound then if you can get one pound 50 back tomorrow versus you know uh, an unknown you know twenty five thousand pound maybe sometime yeah, in the future yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's perfectly perfectly understandable and so you know but i don't think it's about you know, doing one or the other in the way that it was in the past when legacy marketing and legacy fundraising was was expensive. 
Yeah. Cool. So, uh, you know, the, the two can go uh, hand in hand and you can piggyback. So, you know, I think so often in larger charities, you have the individual giving team and they're, you know, they're targeted on, on certain sums coming in per year. And then there's, there's only a certain amount of share of voice that's prepared to be uh, sort of, you know, in terms of the amount of campaigns that go out in that year, yeah. you know, well, how many are we going to talk about individual giving and how many are we going to talk about legacy giving? So there's always that, that tension. But in smaller charities and you know, medium-sized charities, you know, I think it's a good secondary message. Sometimes you can lead with that. In fact, I had a conversation with a well-known large charity recently, and they do um, their own lottery. Yeah, and there'll be lots of smaller charities doing lotteries through agencies and, and, and so on. And they were saying they'd had a really significant response to talking to their lottery users and lapsed lottery users about gifts and wills. Because again, if you think about it, you've got someone there who has been giving for a while. They've clearly got that relationship with the charity. And it was a perfectly appropriate sort of secondary message of, you know, actually, here's a way. It's not going to cost you anything, but it's probably something you should do anyway to make a will and consider a, a gift to us. Um, so you can mix and mix and match, I think, and sort of, you know, blend messages in there. I think also, like you said, it's a it's a philanthropic thing. And I think the other thing that um, fundraisers worry about is how do you raise that issue? You know, because without it sounding like, you know, A, we're all going to die. Would you like to leave something to it? <laughs> you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Conversations about mortality always difficult people don't want to talk about death really they don't want to talk about their own death no that, that that's true but culturally again i think that's changing so you know we see uh, more and more death cafes popping up more of a positive discussion around good deaths and planning yeah. for it yeah. and in the, con- in the in that context so we've we've been developing some um content actually around just positive things that you can do to prepare for death mm-hmm. mostly to limit the impact upon others you know that are, that are left behind but also to just set your mind at ease that everything's in place so you can get on with living life to the full yeah so you can do it in a in a in a in a positive way i think and i think charities can have that conversation as well which is you know a will is something everybody needs you know various assessments maybe 55 percent of the population don't have a will everyone needs it the cost of making one is is coming down you know there are all sorts of charity schemes you can get one for free you know our entire online will is, is a free process and so it is actually more about the psychology of people accepting them, their mortality, planning for it, and then getting on. So it can be a positive discussion that, that charities can have, especially if, you know, it's put in the context of, you know, for warm supporters, which is, you know, you've made a massive difference to our charity over the last five, 10, 15 years. Without you, we couldn't have done X, Y, and Z. Right. How would you feel about doing something for us that enabled you to continue having that impact as and when you've gone? Is it about giving supporters a vision of what the world could look like in the future, even after they've gone, if they can make a gift to your cause, how it can make the world a better place long in the future for their their uh, future grandchildren great-grandchildren and and uh, and also am i right in in saying that 
if you don't have a will that the funds won't go to a charity but they'll go to your next of kin no 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 so so yeah if you haven't got a will then you 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 end up dying intestate right uh, it's an intestacy that is a set of rules that distributes your estate and so people do you know my dad my dad's now 76 um, and he only made his first will about three or four years ago basically when I, I said dad you know, I built a system for you to do this and you're still not doing it <laughs> yeah and and his thing was well actually really just didn't want to you know engage with the idea that he was going to die he wasn't afraid of it he just wasn't ready to engage and there's yeah. all sorts of research from the states that suggests that it is it's nothing about cost or money or time or whatever mm -hmm. it's about you know engaging with uh, with that mortality but the other thing he said in, in as a defense to sort of he said well it'll just go to you guys anyway now i've got there are three of us and i said well first of all that's not quite true because there are certain rules as to the way it's split yeah, um, across the family. There are limits to what goes somewhere. And actually then also the process uh, of, of administering that estate is a, is a nightmare for those that are left behind. And so, you know, you know especially also with you know, modern families, you know, they're often sort of second families, different children, stepchildren, and, and so on. And also, if you think about it, the fact that increasingly in society that, you know, we don't have marriage, you know, yeah. that do decide to do something formal, it's civil partnership, the rules for that are different. And, and also, you know, many people don't get married at all. And so, you know, you might kind of go, well, I've been living with my partner for 20 years, it's fine, we own our house together. But actually, they have no rights whatsoever in their intestacy. And so it is about taking control yeah. um, and making sure that it goes where you want it to, both in terms of family and then, you know, back to charity that, um, you know, your this cause that you've supported for, for 10 years isn't forgotten by your children who've just inherited a load of money. Do something now because, you know, a technology makes it possible there's various systems as whomever whatever uh, that, that are there to, to help but it is about taking action now because legacy is a long tail income mm -hmm. and so the later you leave it to start the later it, the longer it takes to feel that impact in terms of your annual revenue uh, coming through take an example we have a hospital charity that we're working with they did one campaign to employees 20,000 employees and they just did one email campaign so you, if you think about the time it takes uh, the, the conversion rates from opening me email etc for people actually doing anyway seven employees from, from that on the first email campaign did their will got two gifts 200,000 pound wow that's a terrific response good grief it is uh, so so you know and that's a, a, a you know one hospital uh, a charity mm. um so we did uh, well with an animal charity recently. Uh, they did an email campaign to warm supporters. We got 40 of their supporters register in one day, yeah. from which I think they got 10 pledges. And that becomes a positive perpetual cycle, I guess. You've got the stories to tell to encourage other people to jump on board and, and, and join by leaving a legacy gift to your charity. Yeah. So, you know, you, you could say, you know, well, when people look at that baby, we go straight back to, you know, to that generation transfer of wealth. Well, it's not going to happen until, you know, until, you know, the sort of well into the 2020s, 2030. Yeah. yeah. But if you're not present in those wills, mm. then 
then you're not getting it (laughs) you've got to you've got to be in there and you know the will is a functional document and so on and and it's not uh you know the 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 charity's call to action is about the legacy but uh, not the will but if they haven't someone hasn't made a will Mm. there's no there's nothing the charity definitely isn't getting any money and if they have made a will and they're not in then they're they're not getting anything so so you know for any charity now to to engage with their trustees and their management team and look at that opportunity coming up over the next 15 years and say what do we need to do now to ensure that the people in our positions in 15 years time have that income and they can continue to use that to uh, to to uh, meet the, the sort of the good causes and the mission charities listening to this john and the people listening from those charities where should they go if they're just starting out with legacy giving if they don't have the knowledge already about where to start marketing how to start talking about it presumably they can go to to your website bequeathed any others bequeathed.org uh we run um webinar events free to to attend okay. uh so the one recently we actually did was, it was overcoming barriers to legacy fundraising and right. it addressed things like how do you get some internal buy-in you know, how do you have a conversation with your corporate um, fundraisers? Because, you know, all of those corporates have employees who need wills. How do you overcome the, the thing of talking about death? How is that addressed and so on? So that's good. The uh, Institute of Fundraising has um, a legacy group, the uh, special interest group, stuff there. Uh, remember Charity. Remember Charity, uh, you know, have lots of good stuff um, in terms of resources and, and, and so on. And the IOF, I think, also have regional groups and so on, don't they? They can group. But, you know, again, it's that, it's that power of network. There'll be someone in your network who's mm-hmm. done something. Um, and, and so, you know, just sort of you know, that Americanism, but reaching out, you know, who's done something that's worked. And actually, as importantly, you know, and again, I think the charity community is pretty good at this. Who's done something that hasn't worked? Because we see charities saying, oh, well, you know, so we've got uh, 60 charity customers uh, now and say, well, we're going to do this. And we can go, oh, stop. Now that we know you're going to do it, speak to these other three charities who tried it and it didn't work. Right. Yeah. Or actually when so-and-so did this, they tweaked it this way because of what we did with them and actually it worked better. And so you can you can learn lessons from the people have already learned so that you can start from a, a point of knowledge as opposed to trying to test everything yourself. And again, in smaller charities, which the majority of the 153,000 charities out there, you haven't got the time or money to be learning lessons and making mistakes that others have made. John Brewer. Thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Yeah, you're very welcome. I, I enjoyed that. Well, yeah, I, I think legacies is, uh, you know, it's an interesting area. It's not quite as morbid as people think. Thank you there to John Brewer for sharing his knowledge and expertise with us. It's clear that developing relationships with donors is crucial for any charity to have a chance of raising f- funds through legacy giving. As John said, a huge transfer of wealth is coming. Can charities make the most of it by encouraging their supporters to help make a better life for those left behind when they pass? Can charities convince baby boomers to see the value in making a will and a legacy gift to the causes that have the best chance of making a positive difference in the world now and when they've gone? Can charities gift their supporters with the vision of a better world, a legacy, a place in history? and the feeling of contributing to a better future world for future generations. 
At the end of our lives, what would bring us peace and balance the inherent fear of our mortality? Could legacy gifts to the causes we support and love now help us to accept our mortality and focus on making the most of the time remaining to us, knowing that our causes will be taken care of and continue to fight the good fight when we've gone? With the long-term nature of legacy giving, a legacy gift could be seen as rewarding a charity's loyalty to the donor. And with the £25,000 average gift based on bequeathed stats, charities could see legacy giving as akin to courting a major donor over years and possibly even decades. It is worth it. As John said, it doesn't have to be an expensive, resource-heavy form of fundraising. Perhaps fundamentally of all, it should be seen as the result of best practice donor retention efforts of every charity, maintaining relationships with their most engaged stakeholders over many years, holding on to them and making them feel that what they're doing in support of the charity is valued. It strikes me that if charities are putting the right amount of effort into stewarding their supporters, as well as opportunities and information about legacy gifts, then these gifts will be made. And with the right balance of engagement and reporting, these gifts could take your charity well beyond the realms in which you currently operate. John signposted to the Fundraising Code of Practice, bullet point 15. There's plenty of information there and a link can be found on our website to make things easier. This details how charities should engage with supporters regarding legacies in order to avoid potential pitfalls. So do have a look at that. We've also included a link to our uh, on our website to Legacy Foresight, which provides legacy trends, insights and analysis, which John referenced. Um, you may find these helpful, especially if you're explaining the benefit of legacy giving to your charity leaders and or boards. And that's it. Thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. Please do contact us through our website or find us on social media under Charity Chat Podcast. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.